the hype train is and we're like oh my god this is terrible we're uh, so good can we just stop that crap Ireland could win the World Cup let's be honest oh Shane I could no why are we so afraid no. of this OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app the football kickoff with Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Every Friday morning at half past 11 across all of our social channels, we kick the weekend off you properly with the football kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and make sure, because um, if you want to leave a comment, you have to be a subscriber. I'm delighted to say Colin Boog is with me in studio. Colin, how are you? Sure. And uh, okay. joining us remotely this morning is Clive Allen. Clive, how are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. You've gone viral with the uh, commentary of Harry Kane's goal, uh, the official Tottenham Hotspur. Um, uh, various social media accounts put it up, and uh, it's a, a moment I think you're never going to forget. Absolutely, yeah. It was uh, it was an incredible moment in, in Spurs' history. Um, Harry Kane sensationally overtaking the legendary Jimmy Greaves. 267 goals. It's not going to happen again. I don't think uh, anyone will ever will ever overtake it. The scuffed finish, as you, as you pointed out, is, is not one of his best. But actually, there's a bit of genius in that as well. That Sometimes you hit the ball exactly where the goalkeeper thinks it's going to go. You ping it perfectly and the keeper's there because he knew what was going to happen. But that little bit of extra, it takes a touch off the ground, it bounces, it bobbles. Harry Kane's always had that in his locker, hasn't he? Absolutely. It, it's a case of actually the goalkeeper not being set because he's expecting probably Harry to take a touch. He uh, he does strike it into the ground. Um, it was a good, bad one, as we say, but the most important thing, it was on target. And um, not only on target, but a winning goal and a, and a record-breaking goal as well. But he still hasn't beaten the one-season record of one C. Allen. 49 goals in the 1986-87 season. 49. Clive, would he ever beat you in that record? Yeah, that's right. I um, I had the pleasure of talking to Harry on the uh, on Spurs TV after the game, and I, I did remind him of that. He, I said, "You just got thirty more to get this season to break <laughs> my record." Oh, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Although you know, stranger things have happened. Thirty goals in three months. That would be that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, right. Um, I, when when a record like that gets broken, um, there was we had a, a conversation about this. It's difficult to know what to do, right? Because you can only really, in football, you can only really celebrate at the end of the match and then you definitely need to have won. So I think it all worked out perfectly. If they'd lost that game, he might have felt a little bit sheepish about everything. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that, um, you know, had City got on to win 2 or 3-1, it might have just got, you know, overshadowed. But um, the way it all ended out, obviously... Um, the record-breaking goal, the winning goal against the champions at, at this current time. So, um, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't have been any better. He, he did have a heady chance at Fulham a couple of weeks ago, which would have broke the record. I think he might have missed that on purpose just to wait for uh, for Sunday. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the games this week. There's five games. The first one kicks off at half past twelve on BT Sport tomorrow. West Ham versus Chelsea, Bournemouth versus Newcastle is half five on Sky Sports. Leeds versus Manchester United is two o'clock on Sunday, and Man City versus Aston Villa is half past four on Sunday. And then on Monday night, it's the Merseyside derby, which is now very much eagerly anticipated, particularly given the managerial changes and the successful integration of the Sean Dyche era. Uh, that one kicks off at 8 o'clock on Monday night. To go through these sequentially, West Ham versus Chelsea. How How is Potter getting on at the moment and trying to integrate all the talent, Clive? What, what's your assessment of how he's doing at the moment? 
I think he's doing okay, but it's such a difficult task. It, it, it's a difficult enough job going to Chelsea Football Club. I think uh, previous managers have found that. But then to uh, to end up after the window with so many players and 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 so varied as well, from really young, potentially fantastic propositions to to try to integrate them into the football that he wants. A team that have uh, have not been playing, I will say, not been playing well. They've just not been getting results that um, I think people were expecting. So he has, I think, the biggest task, the biggest job on in Premier League football at the moment to one to get the best out of these players and uh, and then get the results that are required. They're um, they're in ninth place. They're obviously certainly off of potential um, Champions League football, which has to be a minimum requisite at Chelsea. So he's got a massive job on his hands between now and the end of the season. The other thing is, that, and, and we take this for, uh, probably don't understand it properly, uh, it's actually a really important derby from West Ham's perspective. And their record at the London Stadium in the last five games, uh, they've actually only lost one game against Chelsea, uh, and that was um, in April 2021. The rest of them, they've they've won or they've drawn. So... This isn't an easy gimme in a way that, you know, West Ham not playing great. Most of the other big teams will go, fancy themselves against West Ham, particularly this season. But for Chelsea, if they're off at even a slight bit, that extra added element of the derby really matters. Oh, it does. And, and you've got to re- remember, West Ham got a point at Newcastle. That was a fantastic result. Um, they needed that point. That point keeps them out of the relegation places at the moment. Um, and they, they'll relish the opportunity of playing Chelsea in the London derby. Any London derby for West Ham at home is is always a game that they feel that they can win. So um, a Chelsea that they're in a little bit of turmoil at the moment. Um, a game for West Ham to win and just ease their their problems at the moment. It's a massive game for both teams. It really is. West Ham haven't won back to back at home since October. Chelsea have gone seven games without winning away. What's the score prediction here, Clive? <laughs> it has to be a draw, doesn't it? When you're talking like that and giving those sorts of stats, I'm going to go for West Ham just to edge it by the odd goal, one nil. And that ratchet, if that does happen, it ratchets the pressure up on Potter. It doesn't seem like Chelsea are, are in any way keen on making a move at, at manager level. Does that? Do you think that's just until the end of the season, Clive, that Potter at least has until then to get things turned around? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, certainly it's going to be a situation where they will, they've got to wait till the summer. They can't do anything now. Any manager coming in would find it very, very difficult to pick up the reins. Um, so he has an insight into what he has already at the club. Now the additions as well. Uh, that's going to take some working out. So they have to at least give him to the summer. Okay. Our second game um, is the half past five kickoff on Sky Sports Bournemouth versus Newcastle. What do you think is going to happen here, Colm? Eddie Howe, going back to his old side. Uh, Bournemouth they're doing reasonably well this season I thought they were absolute shoo-ins for relegation but they're actually performing better than I thought they would I can see Newcastle having a slightly sticky patch by their high standards this season recently I can imagine Newcastle going down there and going to pick up the three points narrowly maybe 2-1 I don't know what you think Clive Yeah I think this is an intriguing one as well because of the, the, the situations that both clubs find themselves I think Gary O'Neill's done a good job and they've been a little bit unfortunate in games, Bournemouth. They've been in a lot of games. They've been beaten by the odd goal. And you just you just look at it and you think they're not far away. And Newcastle, all of a sudden, they they there must be in the back of their minds that little bit of concern that they're not winning games as they were, obviously, from the start of the season, going through this little sticky patch. And this is a really tricky game because they'll know, you know, Eddie, Eddie Howe more than anyone will know exactly what he's facing at Bournemouth. Um, and Bournemouth at home 
for me, is where they're going to, if they are going to get out of trouble, is where it's going to happen for them. So they'll they'll be going on all fronts, I think, to try to turn over Newcastle. Um, and I think this is a really difficult one to call. Uh, Clive Gerrard here next to me last season said, Newcastle United next season, possible top four. Possible. And I said, I'm not sure about that. Where do you stand on Newcastle this season? Where are they finishing come May? Where they finish in May, I think they're going to finish just outside the top four. And that's with my, obviously, I think wearing my Tottenham cap because I'm, I'm expecting or hoping that Tottenham just, just leapfrog into that fourth spot and, and at the expense of Newcastle. I just feel their rise this season has been extraordinary, absolutely fantastic, built on good defensive play. But allied to that defensive play, you have to win games by scoring goals. I think that that has dried up a little at the wrong time. So I see they're coming under pressure, pressure that they haven't experienced before in terms of being in a position where they they want to secure at least fourth place in Champions League football. So um, without that experience over the last few years or for many years, um, I just see that Newcastle are going to find it difficult. And I'm going to I'm going to say they'll they'll finish fifth this season. That's why these games are actually really big. Every every single one of these games is a bit of a cup final for uh, for the, for them at the moment. And if they can possibly build that sense of confidence and win a few of these it's actually more important than just the three points it feels like because if they were to get into a bit of a rut where they're drawing these games against definitely inferior opposition who just set up against them and are like we're going to be happy with the nil all here uh, if they can't work their way out of that this patch then you can see how the rest of the teams around them who are used to you know getting into overdrive uh, particularly in, in March this is when the the yeah. Champions League places are won. It's vital important for them. Well, that's the difference. I mean, for what a year now, Eddie Howe's been complimented and rightly so for this fantastic job he's done at Newcastle. And like, it seems a long, long time ago that Steve Bruce was in charge under the previous era, but it really isn't that long ago. And now they're getting into this phase now where people are comfortable with the fact that Newcastle are a top side and now they have to live with that reputation and they seem to be slightly struggling with it recently. For Bournemouth, this would be a massive win. Like, they're 19th in the league at the moment. Come the end of the season again, another prediction off you, Clive. Are Bournemouth staying in the Premier League? Unfortunately, for me, no. I think um, it's very, very tight down there. Uh, Southampton sit on the bottom, Bournemouth. I think that um, I, I can only see Everton going in the right direction under under Sean Dyche. I think West Ham, um, I think there's there's a there's a real scrap for that third, I think, yeah. drop place. But I, I see Southampton and Bournemouth going along with one other. But please don't ask me who that is. It's incredibly tight. From 12th to 18th, 24 points to 18 points, Crystal Palace down to Everton. I think Bournemouth are still in that phase of, of building where they don't mind being a bit yo-yo for a couple of years because they haven't quite reached the point where they feel like they should be established. Most of the other teams who, who might come down will feel like this is a massive shock to the system um, and any of them c- could get sucked into it. Let's move on because the, the games on Sunday are really, really interesting. It's Leeds versus Manchester United at 2 o'clock on Sky Sports and Manchester City versus Aston Villa at half past four also on Sky Sports both those games live and off the ball on News Talk as well uh, Leeds' performance during the week is going to give them a bit of hope Clive that they might be able to do something here they certainly won't be intimidated at home No not at all and I think that Ellen Road is going to be absolutely electric I think uh, you know the managerial change has taken they've had a, a little bit of bounce in terms of the, the result that they achieved at Manchester United and that could have been a win which would have been sensational the way Manchester United have been playing so Leeds playing at home against Manchester United for um, just for the club, I think um, you know it's going to be a, a stadium full of energy, and and this is a difficult one for Manchester United. 
Um, it isn't the league game that they played in the week. It's the next game. And Manchester United would feel that they slipped up by a draw in that game. So um, the second game against Leeds in four days, they know what they're coming in for. And they're going to have to be at their best Manchester United to get a, to get a result at Leeds. This game, this corresponding fixture occurred exactly 51 weeks ago. A rare uh, positive game under Ralph Ragnick leads to Manchester United 4. They've come a long, long way since. One player I was focusing on there during the week live in the game at Old Trafford is Vout Veghorst. Can he succeed in an Eric Ten Hag system for you as a number nine? Yes, I think he can because I think they don't have they don't have another option or another player of that ilk. So I think that he gives them that 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 different dimension. The manager knows him, having worked with him before. Um I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be the long-term answer, but certainly I think he's been a good fit for what they've needed at this moment in time. I thought they looked so much better when he was taken off and they didn't actually have that target man. And I, I can see his quality and like he reminded of us that in the World Cup and he scored the winner for Burnley against United a couple of seasons ago as well and like clear tactical, technical ability, but is he not? Is he? does he not... For you, feel like the odd one out in this current United team, or do you really think he can actually make it? Yeah, because just just that giving that that different type, of, they haven't that type of player, um, and I think they need they need the aerial threat from crosses. I think that he can link the play, and he scores a goal. And so, as a as a leader of the line, he he he's fitting. I think he's fitting the criteria that that Manchester United that haven't had for for quite a period of time now. Yes, they've got options to change it up. Um, and and uh, you know that that is that is the situation they find themselves. He goes off. It then gives Leeds the different problems that um, that they hadn't faced in the game. And there's, there was one or two who was trying to prove themselves for Manchester United as well on the night. So in, in terms of the way the manager dealt with it and handled it, and made those changes, I think it was really positive. He's clearly a stopgap. That's somebody that they've brought in for this period of time. I'd be surprised if they were to make this permanent. Mm. Things would need to, you'd need to start scoring a lot of goals for them to make it permanent. But the way Clive's describing it there, it's like it's giving you options to to make your opposition think differently and see how quickly they respond. While actually, what you're doing is setting up the period of the game where you're going to be at your very best. Yeah, well, the way I'm looking at it is it's kind of uh, to a lesser extent like Erling Haaland at Manchester City at the moment. I'm trying to decide watching Vegas for United is is Vegas doing everything right himself and they're not servicing him, or is he letting them down in the final third? And at the moment, I'm a bit on the fence about it. But I understand the fact that he's an alternative option. I'm just not 100% convinced by him. And I'm, I'm surprised that Ten Hag signed him. But, like, you're not going to question Ten Hag at the moment. Like, he's doing so much right at the club. And well, it's look, desperation, right? Like, Yeah, but he could have... I think the team that finished against Leeds the other night when Vegas was off was a more exciting team on paper. And it actually they seemed to collaborate a lot better too. Maybe, but then they didn't have Sancho for ages for whatever reason. Like there was a good five month period there where the, the manager just did not trust him at all. And now obviously whatever they've done, they figure he's back. And maybe you see Veghorst was just a, a, a warm body that was available to them at the time. And that was the desperation in the transfer window. Um, the, the, the Manchester United form has been so good for such a sustained period of time since the World Cup. Clive, that we're we're kind of just automatically saying that they're going to be in the top four. Uh, was there a bit of them during the week where it was right there for them to announce themselves as part of this title race, and they couldn't quite do it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that. Um, but what what we must have underestimated is the run that they've been on. They they have put a run of results together that been phenomenal to take them to third place. They're only two points behind City. Yes, City have a game in hand. 
Um, but the more important thing, they're, they're four points ahead of Spurs, who are in, in fifth place. So um, in terms of the progress they've made, the position they've got themselves into, um, again, it, it just makes this particular game massive this weekend because as Newcastle are finding, as Man United are finding, they draw, Newcastle draw their last games. And everyone's looking at them, well, they're having a bad run. They're, they're slipping up because the expectation is you, you're you in the top four of the Premier League. You have to win every game. It doesn't happen. So you, 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 you sometimes you have to just temper, I think, the way that you look at what's happening at that football club. And, um, you know, Manchester United have made massive strides under Ten Hag. Leeds picked up 11 points from the last 51 available under Jesse Marsh. They, had three, they won three points from 18 available after the World Cup. Why were they suddenly so much better against Manchester United the first game after Jesse March? And in a wider sense, why does this happen in football so often, Clive, in your experience? Um, well, I've been involved at football clubs and certainly at Spurs when uh, Harry Redknapp took over and, and he brought a group of players together and just basically just lifted whatever pressure they was under, just lifted it off the shoulders, whether that be competition for places or lack of lack of game time for certain players. Um, he introduced something where he brought the whole group together. He explained very basically what would happen. He could only pick 11, but everybody has the opportunity. You produce and perform for me. And and that relieves so much pressure off of so many players who've, who've maybe not been playing or players who've been playing and not been getting the results that have been required. And, um, and, and, and sometimes that bounce, it works. Players respond to that. They feel... I think they just feel a little energised and they feel a little less pressure at, at, at the situation they find themselves in. Um, and I think that, that that's happened at Leeds with the, with the response and the way that the players have played. I'm sure there's every player in Leeds Football Club who, who wants to be involved against Manchester United this mm-hmm. weekend. And, and, and that, as I say, is, is a worrying thing if you're, if you're on Manchester United staff trying to prepare for this game. Because Michael Scabala is not a manager. So unless he is incredibly inspirational and tactically nuanced behind the scenes, is it a case of like they're just relieved that the Jesse Marsh era ended and they go out and they suddenly feel like they're liberated and they can do what they want? Like, do players think like that, Clive, at the top level of the game? Yeah, absolutely. Being given being being given license to to produce what you're capable of, um, and and sometimes you know there are restrictions. They feel the pressure. They can't play in a natural way and all of a sudden their performances and results drop away and and that pressure just heightens. It gets worse and it's very, very difficult for players to deal with. And then the group suffers, the team suffers and and you've got got a football club that are going in the wrong direction. If I'm Leeds, Marcelo Bielsa? No. Come back? No, it didn't work. No, I don't think so. Can't do it. Explain, both of you. Why? Well, he had his time. Mm-hmm. And that time is over. That's like, there, there was a divorce. You can't, you know, I mean, history would show that that's not the right thing to do in, in any situation in life. And what, and what are they going back to? They're going back to Bielsa's way. Was that the right way in the Premier League? Fantastic in the way that they achieved promotion. Um, it was all new. It was. It seemed clever. And they were very, they were very responsive to players. But then you just looked at them and the way that they were playing, they just looked like they were going to concede goals every single game, just in terms of the the, the way that they were set up under Bielsa, the, the results that they achieved. So 
Um, I'd be very surprised if they go back to Bielsa or Bielsa returns. We, we were talking about the pressure and the impact that it might have on Newcastle. We're, we're going to see how well Arsenal deal with it. They've got a, a nice fixture against Brentford this week at three o'clock on Saturday. But from Manchester United's perspective, is there a possibility that they could actually crowbar their way into the title race, Clive? Oh, absolutely. I think they are in the title race. They've got to believe that. Um, you know, they, they are two games ahead of Arsenal. Arsenal, Arsenal, you know, being beaten at Everton, which when we look at it, you've got to say, well, those those games happen. However, however good your season is, however well you're playing, um, that was something that, that was potentially going to happen when, when Everton changed their manager, the new man comes in. Um, knowing Sean Dyche and the way that he works, he's he's got the response of those players. You can see they're bought into what he's he's offered them. He said to them, you know, all good players, you no additions to the squad. We've got what we've got here to the end of the season, and, and we're going to do everything we can to get out out of trouble. So um, that was a, a mighty difficult game, and Arsenal couldn't play the game that they've played all season. That was that was the way that I saw it. You look at Arsenal, the Arsenal that beat Spurs. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same type of performance because Everton didn't allow them to play that way. It'll be interesting to see if other teams use that as a template then to take on Arsenal. And all of a sudden, in previous years, we've obviously expected teams to get a hundred points to win the league. But that's not going to be the case this year. It could well be a significantly um, short, smaller number of points that you need, and as a result, that brings lots more teams into the net. Speaking of which, Manchester City against Aston Villa on Sunday again. It, this is an absolute gimme over the last number of years. A routine two or three or who knows victory for Manchester City. But Unai Emery is somebody who will put uh, a lot of thought into making Villa hard to beat. And there's just that little wrinkle with Manchester City at the moment that they are not firing on all cylinders at the moment. Any idea why, Clive? Well, I, I was obviously I was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to see Spurs beat them. I have to say I was really disappointed in, in Manchester City in terms of first the way that they set up. Obviously, they played Lewis on the left and came into that midfield play, midfield position. They got Spurs um, tactically got it absolutely right in terms of the way that they pressed, the way that they regained possession, and and, and getting at Manchester City's defence. They were in trouble numerous times in the game, so. Um, you know, Unai Emery would have looked at that. Um, which team is Pep going to start with? Which players are going to be in what position? There's there's all these questions at the moment. Um, and sometimes you you look at Manchester City with the quality they have, and if and if in particular, if I was Erlen Haaland, I would be really disappointed because he made numerous runs in the game and and into positions where I think in other teams he would have been given passes and opportunities. And that didn't happen. And you could see his frustration was was incredible. Um, it was a game where, you know, game of two centre forwards and the stories that we know unfolded. Haaland, very, very quiet. I'm, I'm sure bitterly disappointed that his participation in the game was minimal. And Harry Kane's, as we said, was, was sensational. So Manchester City, I think this is a really difficult period for them now. Not only in the Premier League, but with Champions League football. I, I, I honestly, and have said this week, I don't think Man City are winning the Champions League playing this way. No, I don't think so. I mean, Erling Haaland's participation was minimal. I mean, saying the least, he didn't touch the ball in the box. Not once. Look, like Haaland is going to score goals regardless of where he goes. He's a generational talent. Has he, gone to, has he gone to the wrong club? Oh, I think he has gone to the right club, yeah. But but he he needs the service that that he thrives on, and he's we've seen with that at the start of the season, 
there was there was opportunities where they they do need what well, it's what you call a risk pass. They need to make that risk ball into the box, into into areas that he's going to run in. And it just seemed they 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 wasn't going to do that at Spurs, and and therefore he's 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 not effective. You you're not playing to Erlen Haaland's strengths. He can't change that. The 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 Romero yellow card was halfway in his own half. He had to come that deep early in the game in that first half period because he wanted a touch of the ball, and he ends up getting fouled. Romero gets booked, but that was that was where Erlen Haaland was actually trying to get involved in the game. It's a, such a conundrum, isn't it? That you, you kind of and the way it started as well at the start of the season, where he was scoring all the hat tricks. We were wondering how many how many it's going to be over the course of the season, and what's the final number. So we'll wait and see. Um, have you predictions for Man City and Aston Villa? Is it definitely going to be a Man City win? Well, they've got to win. I think they've got to win. They they can't afford to give Arsenal any more opportunities to draw further further away. They don't want to give Manchester United the opportunity to to take second spot. So it is a must-win game for Manchester City. Otherwise, I think everybody's going to be analysing the way that they're playing. Is Haaland the right fit, which he is, but you've got to play the right way to him. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say Manchester City are just going to edge this one. It's all about who's motivated by Hurt more. Villa last time out, lost 4-2 at home to Leicester, who ain't exactly brilliant this season. They've been terrible. And City were very, very limp against Spurs. Yeah. So who wears the anger better? Um, that'll determine the factor is result won't it? Well, and also Man City's uh, slightly superior playing staff at the moment but I, I wouldn't be terribly uh, as a Villa fan I'm hopeful that Unai Emery might be able to um, do something here even under Stevie G they managed to get a point at home against Man City so uh, they're not intimidated by them at all the football kickoff with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports we're hearing that Diego Diego Jada might be available for Liverpool versus Everton a bit of welcome relief from Liverpool's perspective in terms of the, the available playing staff for the game on Monday night. Um, I don't I don't know, Clive. Do you have a theory about why it's all gone so horribly wrong at Liverpool this season? I, I thought you were going to ask that. Um, I, don't, I don't think Jurgen Klopp really knows that he would be the man to ask. Um, they look flat. They're lacking in energy um, and belief at the moment. That, that's the one thing which you know with Liverpool teams, certainly over the last few years under Klopp, that they might have a, a you know a, a little hiccup here and there, but the response has always been it's been massive and, and um that hasn't happened. They look vulnerable defensively, look very, very vulnerable. Midfield, they're not the powerhouse that they were. Um and again, they don't perhaps they don't carry the potency up front that we know that Liverpool teams have over the last few years. So um, the combination of those three things are very, very difficult to address. Um, I can't see them making Champions League come the end of the season, um, and I think that this is a this is just a, an incredibly big game for both teams. But certainly, going into it has to favour Everton for me. So going back to your own playing days, what's it like, Clive, when you're in a very talented, successful team who go through this barren run and nothing seems to work? What's it like in the dressing room? Is there a real sense of like impatience and anger at the fact that you're just not producing, or is it more of a collective effort to try and improve? Like, I'm thinking of Mo Salah, and you're the Salah in this situation. What are you thinking? Well, it, it's the pressure, and, and and certainly you you would have those conversations. You're not thinking any different in terms of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to produce, the way you're trying to play. Um, but it just doesn't happen. Whether the timing's um, a little off, whether you know, mentally you're not as sharp and you're bright and ready to do what you 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 were doing. 
sometimes when it's all flowing, it's going well, you're not even thinking about it. It happens, you, you thrive on that, you enjoy that. But when it's almost like when you start overthinking it, that things get horribly go horribly wrong. And at the moment, that seems to be the case with Liverpool. I'm sure it's a dressing room that are, are talking about it. They're not they're not trying to play in the manner that they are, but uh, they're finding it difficult to pick themselves up and and get back to winning ways. That is the thing. I think any team playing them at the moment would, would relish playing a Liverpool team that that are far from at their best. And in your experience, how did you get yourself out of that type of rut? And resume you, your good form. You, you always go back to basics. You 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 look at what you've been doing, what you haven't been doing. Um, as a striker, getting into the areas where you where you scored the goals before, you 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 almost you know make those runs because you you know at some or hope at some stage that the opportunity is gonna gonna be there for midfield players. It's making those those tackles, winning those tackles, and perhaps playing simple, keeping the ball, passing it in a manner that, you know, is not risky until that confidence starts to grow again. Uh, can we talk a bit about Sean Dyche? I, I often wondered if uh, Dyche at a bigger club than Burnley would have been considered slightly differently within the apparatus and architecture of, of English football because it never seemed like uh, he was completely wedded to the style of play. It seemed like he was ultra pragmatic and that this was what was going to work for Burnley in this situation when he knew the ownership was never going to give him massive amounts of money. And so I don't I don't assume that, um, say, say he keeps the club up, I don't assume that next year we're going to see Everton be Burnley except in blue jerseys. I actually think there's more to Sean Dyche than maybe we've been led to believe. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, what you've got to, what you've got to say is what a magnificent job Sean Dyche did with Burnley over over that 10-year period that he was there. And working with the players at the level that they were at, he was getting more than perhaps they were capable of. Now with an Everton group, and he's he's probably gone in there and yes, they're in a perilous position, but he's probably looked at the squad of players and the group of players and thought, my goodness, the quality that I have here, what I can work with, and... His principles won't change because, you know, he loves the game. He's studied the game. He's been able to keep Burnley in the position they had for so many years that now it's like an Everton that he probably thinks this is a group of players that should be in the top half of the table, could be pushing for for European football or maybe should be with the squad that we have. So, you know, again, for for Sean Dyche, it must be such an exciting situation to to go into as a manager, and given the, given the opportunity that he has, he will he will he will absolutely relish it. He, he he deserves that opportunity. Are we saying that Everton are not a big club? I think they are a big club. They've never been out of the Premier League. They've always been in the Premier League, and I think they'll stay in the Premier League with Sean Dyche in charge. I think that um, this this might finally be the the marriage that they've been waiting for. They've accidentally found the right guy at the right time. I don't think there's a chance in hell that Everton are going down this season, no. Colm. No, but I I really didn't even think they would if Frank Lampard had remained. Like Lampard proved last season, he was able to uh, help them avoid relegation and kind of lead that. Even though you could argue that okay, he got them into it, but he was only taking over a poor regime anyway, and he got them out of it. So, it, but I think Everton's ambitions to go far beyond seventeenth place. Like I think they were going down with Frank Lampard. I have to say, I'm not sure. Mm. I, I I do you know why as well? I'm just looking at again those teams from twelfth to eighteenth that there are poorer teams in the league than Everton, and I think Lampard would have got them got them out of it. But with Dice, it's like. Yeah, you're right. Like he should step up to the next level in his career because we really don't know the extent of Dyche's potential. And I don't know, Clive. It's a two and a half year contract. I mean, in the summer, 
it's already down to the last two years then you have 18 months left and then suddenly it's like what's the scale of Everton's ambition for Dyche how far can he take them provided he keeps them up this season Oh, I think it will be it will be a situation where he'll he'll want to grow to develop the club in terms of uh, the way that the players he wants, and that will happen in the summer. Um, if he keeps them up, it's a completely different um, dynamic to one in which if they were to go, which I don't think they will. So staying in the Premier League is the priority. He knows that he can work he can work with that goal and uh, as his target to the end of the season. Then the additions that he makes in in the summer, and I think that will happen. Because um, you know, to, to move the club forward, um, it, it will be Sean Dyche. You know, there's 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 areas after that period of time. There's areas that he will know that he wants to address. So it's it's a work it's a work in progress under Sean Dyche with Everton. And I think they will go from strength to strength. All right, we'll leave it there this week, Clive. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. And Everton will win. Yeah, you think so? I think they'll win it by the odd goal. If they play like the way they did against Arsenal, I think that Liverpool are up against it. I really do. Even though they're at home against, against obviously, uh, the rivals from across the park. See, that's a big call, Clive. Like, Jurgen Klopp could be with us in the kickoff next week if Everton <laughs> win this game. <laughs> that's a big call. We will see. Good stuff. The football kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. We're live every Friday around about half past 11. And you can hear us again then on Friday evening and off the ball on News Talk. If you want to leave a comment on the YouTube channel, you need to be a subscriber. To, it's youtube.com forward slash off the ball. We'll see you next Friday at half 11. Take care. The football kickoff with Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.